secret bunker somewhere outside of Nashville, Tennessee. This is the award-winning podcast, Reality. Good evening, everybody. Thanks for listening tonight. My name's Sandman, and I'm going to be your guide through this strange realm of ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, aliens, conspiracy theories, and other unsolved mysteries that I like to call Parareality. Well, this episode's coming out a little late, and I apologize for that. I had gone through the painstaking process of recording this episode a week ago, and uh, when I was in the middle of uploading it to do some editing and everything, something happened. My files got corrupted, and I could not save them. I tried for hours to save the files on this particular episode, and I could not do it to save my life, so I had to just scrap the whole thing and start all over again. I hoped that I would have had this episode up before now, but I just couldn't find the time to get back into the studio and re-record it. So here I am, a week late, but better late than never, right? So I apologize for that, but you know, things happen, and I'm glad that you guys can understand. I'm, I'm sure that you do. Now, before I get too deep in the weeds with this podcast, I want to send out a thank you to everyone who downloaded the special early episode that I did on the Nashville Shooter a few weeks ago. So I had one early episode, and now I have a late episode. I guess I'm kind of making up for it, right? Uh, so far, there hasn't been any, uh, well, not a lot of revealing new evidence dropped in my lap. So as of right now, there's probably only going to be the one episode, but there has been a little bit of a development. Now, Now the police still haven't released the quote-unquote manifesto, those documents and in, in everything that they're calling a manifesto. Uh, there is a local politician in the area that's an alderman that's not in Nashville, but uh, in one of the communities outside of Nashville. And she is... Uh, making some, uh, let's just say she has a conspiracy theory that says that the reason the um, shooter chose Covenant Schools because there was some sort of love triangle involved in it, and there's absolutely no evidence of that whatsoever. She claims that uh, 30 minutes after the uh, shooting happened and it was announced on the news that she knew exactly why it was. Her inside sources had figured this out and and that it was some sort of love triangle. And that's really all that I know. And uh, as as I'm speaking on this topic, she is uh, facing uh, disciplinary action from her uh, local um, board that she sits on or government, city government that she serves on. So more to come on that. But, uh, you know, we... we waiting for the cops to release the manifesto and, and maybe something will come out of that. Um, you know, I, I had my conspiracy theories, uh, nothing major, uh, you know, nothing involving a love triangle or anything like that. Mine was, was more, you know, along the lines of, well, it could have been because um, it was a political statement against the um, anti-transgender, uh, anti-drag show band that had been, uh, that was, supposed to be put in place here in the city of Nashville. And, uh, you know, there, there it, I don't think that as, as of right now, none, 
neither one of my conspiracy theories have have uh, been proven true or false. And um, you know, I I was just positing something. I I don't know that um, there is anything to what I was talking about. And if it's not, it's not. That's just how it is. You know, um, I'll accept whatever the official report is and 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 be done with it. Um, however, uh, you know that. Being said, it has kind of, um, with, with the implications of of what's been going on, because you had this tragedy, you can't just, or you shouldn't just willy-nilly make some sort of conspiracy theory up like this other lady did. And my conspiracy theories, you know, uh, of course you're going to say, well, you're making yours up too. Well, you know, I'm basing mine off logical assumptions that could be, I'm asking the questions, could it be that she did this because of so-and-so? I'm not saying I know that she did this because of so-and-so. So there's a little bit of difference in there. And you could say, well, Sam, man, you're splitting hairs and you're trying to make yourself look good. Well, maybe that's true. I don't think I am. I'm, I'm trying not to. And that's really kind of what this episode tonight is going to be about. But like I said, before I get too deep in it, I want to uh, thank to send a thanks to everyone who downloaded the special ep- early episode that I did on the Nashville shooter a few weeks ago. You know, it, it seems like somebody could make an entire podcast dealing with nothing but mass shootings. One takes place just about every day, it seems. As a matter of fact, the, the stats that I looked at is like uh, from one mass shooting that gets televised and gets a lot of press, like national television, Tele, uh, national news coverage is what I'm trying to say. It's about 13 days before the next one takes place. So literally we have one, you know, something that hits the news every two weeks. But it seems really like one takes place just about every day. So if you're looking for a podcast idea, if you're one of the two people in the whole world who doesn't have a podcast yet and you're looking for an idea, there you go. Now you can thank me later, although you may not want to. I'm sure doing a podcast on nothing but mass shootings and the death of innocents, especially children, will take its toll on you eventually. But enough of that. Well, it's springtime, and the weather's warming up, so I hope at least some of you are dusting off your paranormal investigation equipment and are already planning some trips. I'm still trying to get back to the Dead Children's Playground in Alabama, so I'll hopefully be going back this year. Now, if you recall, my last trip was during the height of the pandemic back in 2020. And uh, I invited my wife to go along with me and she kind of hijacked the whole thing. And um, I, because of that, I didn't actually get to investigate the, uh, the playground. So um, I've been trying to make it back ever since. But, you know, life, you know, Life gets in the way. But in better news, I'm going to be going to the Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Festival, the third annual Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Festival in Townsend, Tennessee, next weekend. It's going to be taking place on May uh, 6th, and that's that's a Saturday, and I plan on being there. I was going to go to the uh, East Tennessee Paracon, which is supposed to be taking place uh, this weekend, uh, as I'm recording this podcast, 
uh, and I couldn't I couldn't swing both of them. I had a look at uh, what was going on with each, and I decided I wanted to go to the the Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Festival and third annual. I mean, it's you know just it's still in its infancy, and uh, they got a lot of good guests there, and it's in the mountains, and I love the mountains. So uh, Mrs. Sandman and I are going to take our dog, and we're going to head down to Townsend, Tennessee for the third annual Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Festival. So you know that there's going to be a review show about that. So um, I'll be doing that real soon, let you know all about the Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Festival. All right, so what are we going to talk about tonight? I I said that my conspiracy theories with the uh, Nashville school shooting, the Covenant school shooting, had a little bit of bearing on what I'm going to be talking about tonight. As a matter of fact, it has more than a little bit. It has a lot that directly directly relates to what I'm going to be talking about tonight. If if you've noticed the theme for this season of pair reality, it's been kind of a mixture of UFOs and some conspiracy theories in there. And you know that I consider myself to be a conspiracy theorist. And you know that I've gone on the record to say that even though I am a conspiracy theorist, I try to be an ethical one. I've said many times that we conspiracy theorists need to be held accountable for our actions if we incite violence or it causes harm to others. So tonight, I'm going to be discussing the ethics of conspiracy theories and the psychology behind them. But of course, to learn more, you'll have to turn on, tune in, and find out. So normally, in this part of the podcast, I uh, reserve this to answer or read one fan mail or one comment or something about the podcast. Uh, and I haven't done that in a couple of couple of episodes. And I'm still not going to do it tonight. I've been trying to you know change it up do a little something different. So I'm going to take this time to welcome some new subscribers to the podcast. And please forgive me if I slaughter your name because I only have your usernames here. So I want to welcome the following three people to as followers, sand fans, as you're so affectionately called, Machiavelli, Redhead PM, and Mahari Webster. Thanks to you three for being new listeners of the podcast and for subscribing to the show. And if you guys like the podcast and uh, you want to get it whenever it comes out on its hopefully regular schedule, which is the first and third Fridays of every month at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time, make sure you, whatever podcast platform you're listening to, wherever you're getting your podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button and uh, you'll always be updated on the the latest episode of the show. Man, I just had a big brain fart right there. You'll always know when a new episode drops. That's what I was trying to say. And like I said, usually it's on the first and third Fridays of every month. Those months that have uh, more than uh, uh, 
four Fridays in them if there happens to have a fifth Friday in it. Sometimes I may drop an extra bonus podcast in there, uh, but most of the time I don't. I just try to stick to the first and third Fridays of every month. And unlike a lot of other people, um, a, a lot of uh, podcasts are going to uh, seasonal um, episodes where they have like a three or four month long season and then they take a break for a f- two weeks or a month or something like that. Then they come back and they do another um, quote unquote season. I really typically have not done that. Um, I go my season, as I use my air quotes, lasts for 11 months. I go from January all the way to April, every first and third Friday and I am taking the entire month of December off just because it's the holidays and uh, be, trying to be with my family and, you know, doing shopping, everything, the holiday season. So I generally try to take every December off. But I'm pretty consistent with the first and third Fridays of every month from January to the end of November. So you got a long time of a season for parareality. And also, if you are listening to this show, I would ask – it, now look, I have, I'm not trying to, um, make a million dollars here. I mean, it'd be nice if someone picked up my podcast and said we're going to pay you some money, and I could uh, make a living off of doing this because God knows, um, I enjoy doing this podcast and this is why I do it. Uh, and I would have, if this was all I had to do, I would have one hell of a podcast. People, it would be great. I could do a weekly podcast at that rate, you know. Uh, but it's, I know that that's probably not going to happen. The chances of that are very, very remote. So my goal here is to not to make money. My goal here is because, number one, I do it because I love podcasting, but my goal is just to provide information and a source of entertainment to whoever's on the other end of this microphone out there. Whether you listen to it on Apple Podcasts, whether you listen to it on Spreaker or Google Podcasts, or whatever, whatever your favorite way to get podcasts are, please help me grow the show. I want to grow the show. You know, uh, I want to get the show out there to as many people as I possibly can, and I'm, I've am i done a pretty good job of that, but I need your help. And all I need you to do is just give me a rating. Click on that like button. You know, I need a three, four, five-star rating, and that helps the podcast grow. It helps it get more popularity, and it helps spread the news. So if you're listening to this podcast and you think it's pretty decent, give me a three, four, five-star rating. I would really appreciate it. It just helps me get the word, the pair reality out there, and I really appreciate that. And if you want to leave a comment about what's going on with the podcast. If you have an idea for a topic, if you want to write in and say, hey, I love your your show, keep up the good work, or if you want to write in and say, you suck, I always want to hear from you. And the quickest and easiest way to do that is to send me an email, sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. You can also follow me on my social media accounts. I'm on Facebook. You can look me up on Facebook at sandman.parareality. There you can find the official Parareality Facebook page. You can follow me. You can friend me. You can send me a DM, slide right into those DMs right there. It's the official Parareality Facebook page at sandman.parareality on Facebook. 
or if you've got Twitter or Instagram, I am on both of those. Uh, my username for both is at Radio. That's at Radio on Instagram and Twitter. And finally, you can always call the podcast. I do have a hotline that comes right in here to the secret bunker. That number is 615-692-1170. That number to call once again is 615-692-1170. Just call in and leave me a message on the hotline here on the studio. Remember, though, if you do decide to leave me a message, you're giving me permission to play your comment back on the podcast. So if you don't want that to happen, you'll need to let me know somewhere in your message. Now, like I said, I'm always looking to hear from people, whether they have an idea for the podcast, whether they love the podcast, or whether they say, hey, you suck, maybe you've got an idea for an improvement. I'm open. Let me know. I'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, maybe you have a, a little story that you want to tell. And you just need to call me up and, and just leave it on the, the studio line. That's fine. That's cool. Call up. Leave your story. There's like a two-minute limit on the um, voicemail. So if you get cut off, call back. Pick right back up where you left off. But remember, if you don't want me to play your comment back, you need to let me know. Otherwise, I probably will do that. So those are all the ways that you can get in touch with me here on the show. And by the way, I love to interview normal, everyday people just like you and me who've maybe had some sort of weird experience happen to them or have a story that they want to tell. If you've had something weird and unusual happen to you, I'm always looking for guests. So send me that email, call me, slide into my DMs, something. Let me know if you want to be on the show, and I'll interview you. I'll get you on. And uh, don't forget to visit my website, parareality.com, that's a place where you can keep up on all the latest paranormal news from all around the world. I've got an entire page of the website devoted to, to the, that paranormal news section. It's called the Paranews tab on the website there. That content's updated almost daily. You can also shop in the Parareality store, help me support the podcast. Every money, piece of money that I make, every dime, nickel, penny, whatever, that I make from the podcast gets pumped right back into it. It does not go into a bank account and uh, make me fat and happy because, there's, <laughs> number one, there's not enough to do it. But number two, I'm not trying to get rich off of this. So I take all the money from all the swag and uh, all the commercials and advertising and everything, and I stick it right back into the podcast. Um, so uh, if you like Parareality and you want to help the show grow and you want to show your support, you can Give me a three, four, or five-star rating, and you can buy some Parareality swag from the store. I've also got some horrible, horrible videos that I personally have made for the show over the years. I know they suck, but I've got them up there for your entertainment. You can see some of those, too. And you can listen to just about every podcast that I have done for, like, the last 10 years on the archive section of the website. There's a ton of audio there, and it's all free. You don't have to join a club or be a member or anything like that. You got tons and tons of audio under the archives tab on the uh, the website there. So just feel free to browse around and uh, have fun. Have fun. That's parareality.com. Make sure you uh, check it out. Oh, by the way, I'm also on YouTube. I got a YouTube channel. Um, I upload all the audio to the YouTube channel. I do have people who listen to it there, uh, believe it or not. So uh, if you want to listen to me on YouTube, just do a YouTube search for Parareality1. That's my username, Parareality with a number one. 
tacked on the end of it, no underscore, dash, or space, or anything like that. Uh, I've got several seasons up on uh, my uh, YouTube page. I've got a few videos that I've done. I've also got some documentaries and stuff like that that I've uploaded and stuff over the years. I try to keep the... Uh, the audio updated pretty regularly on YouTube. I haven't made a video in a while. I need to get back into doing that. Eric and I keep, uh, that's my part-time co-host. We keep batting around the idea of, um, video in some of the, some of us, uh, some of our episodes here. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. So those are all the ways you can, uh, find me out there in the inter world, the internet. So, just uh, knock yourself out. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm rambling now. So now that I've told you how you can get in touch with me here on the show, let's get right into it and let's talk about the ethics of conspiracy theories and the psychology behind them. Claims that the moon landing was faked or that lizard people are taking over the world might seem harmless and even kind of funny. But what most of us don't realize is that every conspiracy theory comes with a moral cost. Conspiracy theories have rapidly advanced from being, well, nothing more than wild accusations about shadowy figures, mainly the federal government, trying to control the entire world to being broadcast on mainstream news stations on the TV like Fox News which is not really a news network. Conspiracy theorists, well, they're no longer seen as people on the fringes of society who live in their parents' basement. Today, conspiracy theorists are seen as brilliant Internet sleuths and, dare I say, leaders of the free world, like former President of the United States Donald Trump. In an important sense, every conspiracy theory comes at some moral cost. To offer a conspiracy theory is to make an accusation, so to speak. Over the past 10 years, we've had many conspiracy theories thrown at us from just about every angle, it seems. But most specifically, we have what I like to call the fearsome four, and that's Sandy Hook, Pizzagate, QAnon, and then there's the big lie. Each one of these conspiracy theories have been responsible for causing irreparable harm to those involved. Both the conspiracy theorists themselves and those they were theorizing about in most cases. The theories have damaged people's reputations. It's caused emotional distress and in some cases actual physical harm and even death. So let's take a look at these one by one, and we'll start off with Sandy Hook. So the Sandy Hook theory, perpetrated by Alex Jones, said that the school shooting at Sandy Hook never really took place. The children who were supposedly shot were either crisis actors along with their parents and school officials and law enforcement, or they never even really existed in the first place that they were just all completely made up. And Jones claimed, without any concrete evidence, that the massacre was actually orchestrated by the United States government as part of an elaborate plot to promote stricter gun control laws. 
and Jones has since been found liable for damages by a civil court in order to pay over $1 billion in restitution to the relatives of the children who were killed. Now, that's a big settlement, and it should go as a wake-up call to us conspiracy theorists that, yes, things that we say we can be held accountable for. Now, Alex Jones has a way, or he did at this point in time, it's during the time of Sandy Hook, I don't know about now, but at that point in time, he had a way bigger audience than I'll probably ever have, right? He had a massive following. And he had basically a conspiracy theorist media empire, which is what all of us conspiracy theorists want, right? We want to have our own media empire, you know, so we can spread our word out there. But what he did was just totally um, reckless. And he knew that what he was saying was causing harm. He knew that people were believing his his theories, that they were getting riled up, that they were angry, and they were causing problems to the parents of the children that were died. In some cases, houses were burglarized, van, vandalized. People's lives were threatened. People had to move two or three times. And enough eventually was enough. So you can't charge him criminally for anything because he never really did anything criminal. But by God, you could take him to civil court and make him pay money. And that's exactly what they did. So that should be a wake-up call to conspiracy theorists that what we say, our actions, if we incite people to cause harm or violence to other people, then we should be held accountable, and we can be held accountable. Now, none of these people will ever see this $1 billion in, rest, $1 billion in restitutions uh, that he was ordered to pay because he doesn't have it. I mean, we all know that. I think it was stupid to order a billion dollars worth of, of uh, restitution. But uh, I think that was done to make a point, not necessarily that they were expecting to get any money. But it's forced him to um, file bankruptcy He's lost a lot of sponsorship. He's been kicked off of YouTube, which was his major video platform, and other um, uh, social media sites. So it's really hurt him. But he seems to not really publicly, anyway, care too much about it because he hasn't really changed his ways. And he really should, and so should the rest of us conspiracy theorists. We really need to look at the Alex Jones as the uh, epitome of what it is to be an irresponsible conspiracy theorist. The next one I want to talk about is Pizzagate. Now, that's a conspiracy theory that went viral during the 2016 U.S. presidential election. Now, you go all the way back to March 2016, the personal email account of John Podesta, who was Hillary Clinton's campaign chair, was hacked during a phishing attack. And WikiLeaks somehow got hold of his emails and in November of that same year published them. Now, proponents of the Pizzagate conspiracy theory claimed that the emails contained coded messages that connected several high-ranking Democratic Party officials and U.S. restaurants with an alleged human trafficking and child sex ring. And one of the establishments in question 
that was allegedly involved was the Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria in Washington, D.C. Members of the alt-right, conservative journalists, and others who had urged Clinton's prosecution over her use of an unrelated private email server spread this conspiracy theory like wildfire over social media outlets like uh, uh, these uh, message boards like 4chan, 8chan, Reddit, Twitter, and Facebook, so forth and so on. And in response to this, there was a man from North Carolina who traveled all the way to Comet Ping Pong to investigate this conspiracy, and he was convinced that there were children being held captive in a secret basement at Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria, and he was going to go in there and save the little kids. He, uh, I think he even um, videoed some of this. He went in there armed, ready to do battle, with the, the evil child molesting whoever was in there. And he actually fired off a shot from one of his rifles inside the restaurant. To it, it, he, was shoot, he was shooting off a lock on a door. And this was a door that he was convinced that behind it were the stairs that led to the secret basement where the kids were being molested and had their adrenochrome sucked out of them to provide power to the evil Democrats. And what he wound up shooting off was the lock on a door to a storage closet. He found nothing in there but uh, some mops and brooms. And uh, so, needless to say, he was arrested. It could have been a lot worse. He could have gone in there and started just firing shots randomly, shooting people in the restaurant. I mean, if you're uh, eating in the restaurant, you were seen as supporting this child trafficking sex ring with this adrenochrome harvesting Satan worshiping Democrat cult. So he, the people who were there that night to include staff, to include patrons were lucky that they didn't get shot and or killed. And the whole thing actually ended peacefully. He surrendered to the cops and um, no one got hurt luckily, but it could have been a whole lot worse. As a matter of fact, the restaurant owner and the staff who worked there received many death threats from conspiracy theorists and other people who were believing in this whole Pizzagate thing. And speaking of Pizzagate, this is generally considered a predecessor to number three, which is the QAnon conspiracy theory. So speaking of QAnon, here we have a theory that a group of Satan-worshipping elites who run a child sex ring are trying to control our politics and media. That was the kind of the foundation block, the cornerstone of the QAnon conspiracy theory. Now, this theory was so wild and broad in scope with the things that it was claiming that I can't even believe that anyone in their right mind would believe in it. Yet, amazingly, a poll that was conducted by NPR found that 17% of Americans did, in fact, believe that the QAnon conspiracy theory was true. Now, this sparked so many demonstrations, so many threats of harm and violence to our 
politicians, especially the Democrats, because no Republican could have possibly been in a a child sex ring that worshipped Satan and could try to control our politics and media. Surely no Republican could do that. So the Republicans were free and clear. It was just the Democrats and basically anyone who wasn't a Republican. Um, This thing got way, way, way out of control, and then all of a sudden mysteriously popped up this Q person who um, we still really, really don't know who it is, but we think we do. We have some evidence, and this guy started just posting just wild stuff all over the place about political arrests and trials and hangings and riots and all this other sorts of stuff that never, ever came true. Yet every time he made a prediction that didn't come true, he didn't lose any followers. People still believed in this Q thing. And it it, it kind of died out after the January 6th uh, insurrection, um, but there are still people who believe in QAnon. And, and this thing was so, uh, people were so indoctrinated into this cult of Q, as I have called it, that they cut off ties with their family or their family had to cut off ties with them. Either way, they've lost jobs. Uh, they've been put in jail. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And the QAnon led straight into the big lie, which you see how all these are connected, right? So finally, we come to the the fourth one on my fearsome four, the big lie. Now, this is one that's still being pushed by former U.S. President Donald Trump and is simply the result of him being unable to accept defeat in the last presidential election. This theory basically claims that the presidential race was stolen from him by Democrats by using rigged voting machines, i.e. Dominion was the manufacturer of these machines. Um, uh, Also, um, supposedly dead people were casting votes against him and a lot of votes were deliberately miscounted, and that's just among many other things that he's pushing, all with absolutely no evidence to this whatsoever. He's just, hey, this sounds good. I'll get people to, to believe this because people believe, you know, his, 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 the cult of Trump, his cultist will believe anything that he says. So he just says whatever the hell he wants to say, and they just, like, they're drinking the Kool-Aid, as the saying goes. They just go with it. Now, this is another conspiracy theory that I can't believe that people actually believe in. But as many as one in three Americans and up to 70% of Republicans actually believe in this wacky theory. So Donald Trump has indoctrinated people into his cult at such a deep level. It's Hitler-esque the way that he's done this that there's so many people that are actually believing this big lie, that there's absolutely no proof whatsoever. Uh, My pillow guy has spent millions of of his fortune, lost sponsorships uh, because he believes in the big lie. And he spent millions of dollars out of his own personal fortune to try to prove that this theory is real. And he can't do it because it's not. It's not real. There's no proof. And Dominion just settled a almost billion-dollar lawsuit with Fox News 
over this big lie. And Tucker Carlson got shit canned because he was promoting the big lie just because he could get ratings and make money when he knew and he admitted behind the scenes that he knew it was a lie and that he couldn't stand Donald Trump. But the almighty dollar won out in that. Now, these claims to the fearsome four are, needless to say, utter hogwash. The evidence offered is not merely flimsy, but it's laughable. And what sort of people would fake the deaths of their children or even kill children, even their own children? Who'd want to eat children anyway? And, and how could an entire political party manage to arrange a national voter fraud scheme and keep everyone involved in it a secret? All of these political schemes, Pizzagate, QAnon, the big lie, even Sandy Hook, because Sandy Hook, you know, the theory behind that was it was a false flag government thing. How could all the people involved in all of these conspiracies, and we're talking about thousands upon thousands of people, how can you keep all of these people quiet? Because if you have that many people, do you realize how many people it would take to pull off a conspiracy theory? Just take, just take the last one, the big lie. It would take so many thousands of people to pull off a conspiracy theory like that that you couldn't control everybody. There would be at least one person that would talk. But yet no one has come forward and said, oh, yeah, I helped rig the Dominion machines or I miscounted these votes or I have uh, a room, a spare bedroom in my house full of votes for Donald Trump that never got counted because the, it, it just didn't happen. Yet people still believe it. even though these conspiracy theories are untrue. They're an illustration of the pervasiveness of conspiracy theory as a social practice and the widespread desire to believe in these things. If you think that this all sounds like some fringe belief that nobody could buy into, consider this. For these theories to hold true, everyone involved in them, like I said, that have to had somehow... Uh, have a conspiracy involving thousands of people secret for decades. They have to have kept it secret for decades. Yet poll after poll reveals that a good percentage of Americans still believe in these conspiracy theories, even after they've been proven to be false. So let's talk about the ethics of conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories weren't invented by the Internet. They go back at least as far as the elite reaction to the French Revolution with a grand Illuminati Masonic conspiracy theory taking hold on both sides of the Atlantic before the start of the 19th century. Anti-Semitic conspiracy theories had the tragic consequences during the last century, while several years ago the Obama administration had to contend with everything from demands for the president's birth certificate to state governments fueling rumors of impending martial law. The consequences of conspiracy theories are 
as they have always been, concrete and significant. And really, conspiracy theories, if you want to get it right down to brass taxes, you want to, they've been around since we have, you know, um, there's always been conspiracy theories. And most of us use the term conspiracy theory to refer to beliefs that we consider outlandish or paranoid and almost certainly false. Yet, strictly speaking, this is kind of unfair. On the simplest definition, a conspiracy theory is simply an explanation of observed events that posits two or more actors working in secret. Philosophers who've considered conspiracy theories as a class of explanation insist that there's nothing intrinsically irrational about conspiracy theory so defined. In fact, if we didn't accept the idea of a group of actors plotting in secret, we'd be unable to explain a host of historical events like the assassination of Julius Caesar all the way to Watergate. Conspiracies happen. They do happen. But that doesn't mean that conspiracy theory as a style, as a practice, or a tradition is just as valid as any other form of explanation. These theories are notoriously impossible to falsify. So says the conspiracy theorists, right? How do you prove hidden forces are not directing the world events? I don't know. They also have a terrible track record of success, though. Fifty years on from the Dallas shooting, the assassination of JFK, no on no non-Oswald theory on who killed JFK has emerged triumphant against its competitors. It's still the main conspiracy theory to this day. How could one man fire off so many shots in rapid succession using a bolt-action rifle and have such accuracy? Surely luck played no no part in it, right? Surely he wasn't a pretty good shot, even, you know, he had some military training. He had that background. It had to have been more than that. It had to have been so many people involved, the mafia, the Russians, our own government. Did it involve the moon race? Did it involve the mafia didn't like JFK because he was going after them? Did JFK know some shit about UFOs and the UFO community killed him? Who knows? Well, not the UFO community, but, you know, the government. Did the government kill him because he was going to release some stuff about UFOs? I have a friend, a really good friend of mine, who helped work on a book uh, a few years ago about the JFK assassination. This thick book, over 500 pages. And he worked tirelessly for months with this book, and he is still a big believer that there was some sort of conspiracy theory behind JFK's assassination that does not involve Oswald. The Oswald was not a lone shooter, should I say. It's crazy. We also have the NSA's electronic surveillance program, by which, by contrast was exposed by a single whistleblower working with a journalist, and that was proven to be true. So every once in a while, yeah, conspiracy theory will 
in part or all, be proven true. As they say, there's a grain of truth behind every conspiracy theory. Well, I don't necessarily believe that. I think that some of the people who are um, proposing their conspiracy theories have their own version of the truth that they base their theories on, but I don't buy into the fact that there is a hard and concrete grain of truth behind every conspiracy theory. So, you know, it's easy to ask, well, what's the harm with conspiracy theories? The answer depends on which conspiracy theory you're talking about. The beliefs that uh, Paul McCartney died in 1966 and was secretly replaced by a lookalike, or that Elvis Presley faked his own death and is still alive. Well, they've probably done relatively little harm overall, right? But on the other hand, the belief that, uh, let's say, the conspiracy theory that AIDS isn't a deadly disease but a Western plot to control Africans and sell them expensive drugs has led to as many as uh, uh, over 300,000 preventable deaths. What about the fact that uh, COVID-19 wasn't a real disease or that we uh, didn't need to wear masks or social distance or that the uh, vaccine had uh, secret government tracking uh, nanobots or whatever put in them and people were refusing to, well, act right refusing the vaccines, refusing to wear masks, refusing the social distance. How many deaths did that lead to when we know what the real truth is? We know wearing masks works. It's a good deterrent against the spread of disease. Social distancing is a good deterrent against the spread of disease. And vaccines, wow, they really do help. And people think falsely that vaccines mean that if I take this vaccine, I will never get this disease. Vaccines don't work that way. It's amazing how someone who didn't even finish the ninth grade, but, you know, thanks to the Internet, now they're a goddamn, you know, epididymologist or virologist, and they know everything because they read it on the Internet. It's crazy. Somewhere in the middle exist these conspiracy theories that may appear like harmless speculation, but nonetheless translate into real harm to real people. Parents who've lost children in the Sandy Hook massacre were harassed and taunted by conspiracy theorists who are accused of being actors, insisting their dead children never really even existed. In, import, in an important sense, every conspiracy theory comes at some moral cost. To offer a conspiracy theory is to make an accusation, and the accusation may be amorphous, something like shadowy forces run the country, or more specific, like Prince Philip ordered MI6 to kill Princess Diana. But by necessity, ultimately, there's always another human being at the end of it. And given the defensive logic of conspiracy theories in which anyone who denies the conspiracy must themselves be a conspirator, buying into such a theory involves making more and more such accusations just to keep the theory alive, just to keep the fire burning. That is not a morally neutral thing to do, however innocent spinning these conspiracy theories might seem. The X-Files, 
that TV show urged us to, quote-unquote, trust no one. But trust is, in fact, indispensable from the level of everyday interactions with strangers and loved ones to the functioning of economic and political institutions. That foundational trust is deeply corroded by all the the all-consuming suspicion that drives conspiracy theorizing. The growth in complexity and size of our informational environment also means that we increasingly must rely on experts and knowledge communities over whom we have no control and no real understanding. Yet as citizens in advanced democracies, we also rightly need to maintain a healthy suspicion of power. Simultaneously maintaining trust and vigilance is by no means an easy thing to do. Maybe the main challenge is to remember that conspiracy theories, if they're intended to have any purchase at all, are ultimately about real people. They're about real events and real tragedies. Creating them is therefore an activity that takes place within the moral sphere and is subject to ethical standards. Now, seen in that light, it's not okay to accuse someone of fraud or worse simply because their very existence contradicts your favorite conspiracy narrative. The truth may well be out there, but the need for ethical care lies much closer to home. And it's okay for people to have a differing opinion than you. That's something that we seem to have forgotten about, and I don't know why. Having a different opinion from someone is one of the ways that we can learn as a society. If you have a different opinion than me, and we can sit down and not threaten to kill each other over it, if we can just sit down and have a decent, rational, intelligent conversation, we can each learn something from the other, and maybe, just maybe, understand why that person thinks the way that they do. And you know you know what? It's okay to come up from the table going, eh, I still believe in mine and you still believe in yours, but you know what? Let's have a drink. doesn't mean you can't be friends. And maybe if you have enough intelligent, peaceful conversation with someone who has a different opinion than you, maybe... Just maybe that person will be like, hmm, I think you may be right. Or maybe you will be like, hmm, you have a good point there. Let me rethink my position on this. So it's okay, people, to have a different opinion than someone else. And it's okay to talk to someone about it. But the idea behind this is to talk in a rational, peaceful, normal way and have a productive conversation, not a yelling match, not a screaming match, not threatening, not violence. That's not the way. As far as the psychology goes, well, there's a conspiracy theory for just about everything from like the 9-11 attack to the moon landing. It's not just the paranoid fringe who believe in these conspiracy theories either. So how do we decide what's reasonable and what's ridiculous? Well, look at this. September 11 was an inside job. Princess Diana was murdered in a government plot. The Apollo 11 moon landing was faked, and the New World Order's taking over. What do you think about those? Conspiracy theories are rife, 
and entertaining them is in our nature. But how do we decide what's crazy and what's a sign of something sinister actually taking place? Well, sometimes our brain is so good at finding patterns, it finds patterns that aren't even really there. Research from within psychology has really taken off looking at why people believe conspiracy theories. Within the last five or ten years, there's been more and more psychologists turning their attention to it. What was once the pastime of intelligent outsiders is now commonplace. Conspiracies are entertained by a broad swath of the population, myself included. The stereotype here, though, is that conspiracy theories, conspiracy theorists are crazy, that they are paranoid, and that they shouldn't be listened to. However, I don't think that's reasonable, and I don't think it's backed up by the research either. In fact, psychological research suggests that we're all conspiracy theorists thanks in a large part to our cognitive makeup. Innate cognitive biases are wired into our heads, dictating how conspiracy-minded we are. These traits of mind that we have, these shortcuts that our brains take, they can lead us to suspect a conspiracy theory or a conspiracy has occurred, whether it really has or hasn't. And according to the psychologist, it all begins with our instinctive desire for control. This is something that we all suffer from, not just in the context of conspiracy theories, but we all want to feel like we have control over our circumstances and that we understand what's going on around us. When that feeling of control is stripped away for whatever reason, then we look for other sources of control, what's called compensatory control. Conspiracy theorists are one manifestation of this need. We think that if we don't have control, that at least somebody does, even if they don't have our best interests at heart. We have, by our very nature, a hardwired ability to recognize patterns. And finding patterns is an ability that we rely on every moment of the day. It's one of our brain's most reliable abilities, and it underlies all kinds of human endeavors. But sometimes our brain is so good at finding patterns that it finds patterns that aren't even really there. It can find patterns in randomness. Conspiracy theories might be an example of this, taking these events that happen in the world, this chaotic information, and finding these dots that aren't there that seem to be connected but that really aren't. Then there's our intentional bias, our brain's tendency to assume that any ambiguous event was indeed that somebody meant to somebody somewhere meant for it to happen. There's research on this bias from developmental literature. It's been found that if you ask a child, why did somebody sneeze or why did they trip over something, young children below the age of uh, about four think that people meant to do it, that it was done on purpose. But of course, as we get older, we learn that people don't always mean to sneeze or to fall over, and so we become able to apply our knowledge and to override that bias. But what the research shows is that the bias is still there. It's still in the back of our minds, and our brain is telling us. 
whispering in the back of their head that everything about this was intended. Somebody meant this to happen. Our brain is whispering into us. And sometimes we listen to the whispering. Sometimes the whispering takes control over our brains. And even though we may know this sounds funky, we can't help ourselves but to believe in the whispering. Next on the list is proportionality bias. That's our brain's assumption that the causes of events must be as big or as important as the events themselves. The JFK assassination conspiracy theory, that's a good one. They're a perfect example of proportionality bias. Many people find it hard to believe that the President of the United States was assassinated by a lone gunman, a lone madman. Instead, they look to the KGB or the mafia or our own government. Explanations that fit the scale of the crime because that was a huge thing. The assassination of a sitting United States president is, one, a big-time thing, and number two, no easy feat. So one person, there's absolutely no way that one person could do this all by themselves, right? Just can't happen. Well, maybe it did, and I'm pretty sure that's, that's really it. But we will probably never really know. Then there's good old-fashioned confirmation bias. The fact that we tend to surround ourselves with people and information that confirm what we already believe. That's where the QAnon people come in. That's where the big lie people come in. If you only look at at YouTube videos, if your research consists of looking at YouTube videos of people who have the same opinion as you, you don't know how to do research and you're not doing research. Number one, YouTube is not research anyway. But I digress. If you scrutinize your Twitter followers or your Facebook friends or what's left of the newspapers and magazines that you read, you'll probably find that a lot of it's consistent with what you already believe, and you don't really read much of the stuff that goes against your beliefs. And when it comes to conspiracy theories, it becomes very possible to surround yourself with just like-minded people who believe what you believe. Our pre-existing ideologies play a major role in how we interpret events and information. Rather than processing facts in a logical or reasoned way, as we all like to believe we do, we subconsciously filter information to suit a narrative that we've already created. People to the left and people to the right of the political spectrum, they both have conspiracy theories, but they point in different directions. For example, the 9-11 conspiracy theories are more widely believed among people on the left, like liberals, whereas, for example, the conspiracy theories about President Obama not having been born in the United States or being a, a secret Muslim, well, they're more, much more widely believed on the right side of the political spectrum. Both sides can be as conspiratorial as the other. They just simply use the information differently. 
And because these thinking patterns are hardwired, it's difficult to change our own minds, yet alone somebody else's. Given our innate susceptibility to conspiracy theories, I believe that the awareness of our own biases is the best that we can hope for. Everybody suffers from these biases. It's human nature. It's human fallacy. It's only human. So a good first step would be to realize that, to accept that, and then to look at our beliefs and try to critically evaluate them. Why do we believe in the things we believe? Is it based on the good, objective, fair survey of the best available evidence? Or might we be falling into some of the traps laid down by these biases? So in conclusion, I've gone on record many times in the past and said that it's perfectly okay to believe in whatever conspiracy theory that you want. In fact, I think that science has shown that it's in our very human nature to believe in conspiracies. It's hardwired into us. However, as conspiracy theorists, we must maintain an open mind to accepting the evidence that our theory is, in fact, incorrect. Being a conspiracy theorist doesn't mean that we have to have closed minds and being willing to listen to those who have opinions that differ from ours. Yet somehow, we conspiracy theorists have become exactly that. That's not being a good conspiracy theorist. That's not being a responsible conspiracy theorist. It's part of what's making us look bad. Another thing that we must be cognizant of is that we must be held responsible for what we promote. We must be held accountable for our words and our actions. If we say or do something that encourages someone to commit an act of violence or do something else that's illegal, then we might have to pay the price for that. Just look at what happened to Alex Jones, right? What I'm basically saying is this. Go ahead and be a conspiracy theorist. Promote your theory however you want, as much as you want. Just be responsible. Don't encourage people to commit acts of violence or crime. Don't act out in anger at someone who has a differing opinion. And most of all, don't be closed-minded. Be willing and able to listen to the opinions of others. Be willing to engage in healthy, peaceful debates. And when those debates turn hateful, have the courage to walk away. The best way to take away a bully's power is to simply ignore him. A closed-minded conspiracy theorist is nothing more than a bully who's incapable of being irrational. So keep in mind that we have these hardwired biases that are built into our very DNA. They make up who we are. Everybody's got them. You can't get away from them. We share it. When you have your conspiracy theory, my main one, chemtrails, it's a real thing. There's evidence that says that there's, that that's, that it's true, that there's aluminum and barium and all this other sorts of stuff that's being found in our waters where chemtrails are constantly being sprayed. Am I causing harm by promoting that conspiracy theory? No, because I'm not telling people 
go out and take up arms, go to your airport and, you know, cause a riot, you know, threaten pilots or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm saying, hey, I think there's something to this. I think that there's some evidence here. I'm open-minded. I want to hear from other people who have evidence that says chemtrails aren't real. I want to listen to that. I want to hear what they have to say. I want to learn from them. And you know what? I might be wrong. And if I am, then so be it. Will I like it? Eh, probably not because, hey, it's a conspiracy theory that I'm promoting, right? Do I really want it to be right? I don't know how I feel about that. I would like for it to be wrong because if I'm right, that means something bad's really happening and I don't want anything bad to be happening. We got enough bad stuff. But I'm trying to internalize this and look at my own biases whenever I talk about this conspiracy theory. And you know what? It's okay if you don't believe it. I'm still going to be your friend. I'm still going to talk to you. I'm still going to buy you a beer or whatever. You know, I'm cool. We just don't need to be hateful about it. So go ahead. Be a conspiracy theorist. But please remain open-minded. Be kind. And most importantly, be a responsible conspiracy theorist. The last thing that I want to say to you about it tonight is this. So listen closely. Where goes our morality, so goes our humanity. And that just about does it for this episode of Pair Reality. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you want to leave a comment about it or anything else about the podcast, you know how you can do it. Just call the studio line here in the bunker, 615-692-1170. Leave me a message. Email me, sandman at parareality.com. Follow me on uh, my social media accounts and leave me a message there. Facebook is sandman.parareality for the official Parareality Facebook page. Or if you want to follow me on Instagram and Twitter, that's at Radio. And don't forget that Parareality can be heard on your favorite podcast station. So wherever you like to get your podcast from, you can hear it. Just please, I ask that you uh, leave me a three, four, or five-star rating to help me spread the word out about Pair Reality. I would really appreciate it because I want to get this podcast to as many ears as possible. So uh, give me a three, four, or five-star rating. It helps the podcast grow, and I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for those of you who have already done it. Everybody, that does it for tonight. The next episode of Pair Reality is going to air on Cinco de Mayo, May 5th, right before I leave to go to the uh, third annual Smoky Mountain Sasquatch Festival. So make sure you turn on, tune out, tune in, turn on, and find out on Friday, May 5th at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time. I hope this podcast opened up your mind to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. Hope you have a wonderful evening, wonderful weekend, and I'll see you again on May 5th. Good night, everybody. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe.